Welcome to the State of the Lakers podcast. Happy Friday, everybody. Um, You've made it to the weekend, or at least one day from the weekend. Uh, We are very excited to talk about a bunch of Lakers topics today. And I was talking to Raj uh, earlier. We've had a lot of people that have been just kind of in our mentions over the last couple days asking questions, and we haven't really been uh, been able to get around to all of them. So we're going to do a mailbag. Um, we have a bunch of questions in the tweet that I sent out earlier, but feel free to drop questions in the comments because we're going to go till about 925 today and we'll just keep hitting questions until we, uh, until we get to that, uh, time and then we need to stop. First of all, Raj, how are you doing on Friday morning? Doing great. Doing great. It's cool to see, um, a bunch of people kind of ask questions and stuff like that. So that, that'll be fun. Um, yeah, I'm doing well. I'm leaving at Vegas on Sunday. Um, so I'm going to try to catch a few of the uh, summer league games. It's supposed to be like super hot again over there. So that's uh, going to be like 100 degrees, I think, again. But uh, yeah, I'm excited for that. Yeah, Tucson is famously insanely hot over the summer. But the entire mm-hmm. month of July and so far in August, we've just been completely blasted with rain and these like crazy intense storms that are like ripping yeah. trees out of the ground and stuff like pretty wild oh. stuff. Um, but the last like three or four days has gone back to the way it usually is, which is just obscenely hot. Like it was like 107 yesterday, but there's so much moisture in the air that it's humid as all hell to, as well. But anyway, all right. So, uh, basically our game plan for today as we, as we go through this is we're going to quickly touch just on a handful of teams that are considered the Lakers, uh, um, their rivals, and just talk about their moves and whether or not we think it changes the way those teams match up. And then we're going to talk about some Lakers lineups, particularly the starters and the closers, as well as my favorite lineup and Raj's favorite lineup that we're waiting to see, not counting starters and closers, obviously. We're going to really quickly touch on Frank Vogel's contract and uh, uh, just whether or not the Lakers need to bring him back, how far they need to extend themselves, whether or not there's any chance that he goes in another direction. And then we're going to go to the mailbag and just keep hitting questions until we get to 925. Um, but all right, so, you know, as far, you know, you and I had talked about doing a pod where we were going to talk about all the different free agent moves around the league. But the truth of the matter is, is like it hasn't been that crazy of a free agency because there just haven't been any big names really involved. The Russell Westbrook trade is arguably the best player that's changed teams, uh, depending on how you value Russell Westbrook. You know, we have Kyle Lowry to Miami, but I think we can all agree that doesn't really move things in the East. Same thing goes with Chicago loading up. What I'm most interested in, and this is what we'll start with is Brooklyn, Milwaukee, and Golden State, because those are going to be the three teams that I think pose the biggest threat to knock out the Lakers, mainly because Denver is still going to be down Jamal Murray for at least half the season, if not longer, and I don't expect Kawhi Leonard to play this year at all, um, just because he's historically taken his sweet, sweet time getting over these injuries, so I don't think we'll see much uh, uh, of the Clippers in terms of a top tier, uh, contender. So I guess my question for you is this, is there anything that you saw from Brooklyn, Milwaukee or golden state that makes you think that they've improved considerably and are more of a threat now than they used to be? Um, not really, I guess like, it doesn't feel like any of them did anything crazy. Brooklyn, I think is going to be the monster. It is. They still have the three superstars, um, locked in. I, I assume that they'll be healthy next year. Um, they got a couple draft picks, I think, uh, in the first round or something like that. But yeah, 
Patty Mills was a really nice pickup for them. Like, I think that's a high-level pickup. I thought he was worth more than the contract he got for them. But, I mean, they pretty much stayed pretty much level. Um, Milwaukee as well lost P.J. Tucker. But I think overall, they're pretty much the same. Um, they got George Hill. Uh, I think they picked and, up George Hill, right? Yeah, they but, picked uh, up George Hill. And yeah, they re-signed the, Bobby Portis, too. Yeah, the Warriors one is the one, the most interesting to me. I, I really didn't expect them to keep both their draft picks. So they pretty much stood... Pat expecting, um, I think Clay's going to be probably back in December, January. But again, it's going to be a heavy Steph offense. They re-signed Iguodala um, today. I believe he chose the Warriors. He broke our hearts again. But um, <laughs> but I think that was kind of predictable, too. So, yeah, they're the most interesting one to me because, like, they have the most variance, right, uh, depending on what Clay is. Um, they can either be a top-four seed or they can be a play-in just on terms of him. They got two rookies there. Um, we'll see how they kind of contribute. But, yeah, they're again, they're towing the line of doing both. And we always say when you do both, you kind of do neither. So it's kind of uh, interesting to me. They're the most interesting for me. How about you from, uh, from the, like, contending teams? Yeah, I 100% agree, which is why I added them to the list. I, I, I'm not necessarily worried about Brooklyn or Milwaukee because they're more or less the same to me. Like, Milwaukee, mm-hmm. I think, got a little more thin on the wing because they lost P.J. Tucker, but I wouldn't be surprised if Giannis takes another you know, considerable leap as a player next year. So I, I think they'll be better. Not to mention there's just something to be said about the freeness and confidence that a champion plays with uh, coming mm-hmm. off of a title. Brooklyn, the big one is they lost Jeff Green and added James. Johnson, which is absolutely a downgrade. Uh, they kind of fulfill the same oh, role, yeah. but he's a lesser version of that player. They were able to re-sign Blake Griffin. They're more uh, Patty Mills to me is an interesting case of, of diminishing returns because of the fact that you know, uh, uh, Patty Mills is this guy that you can have flying off of screens. Who's in a great, who's a great shooter. He's a gifted passer out of pick and roll, things along those lines. But any game where the Brooklyn Nets are healthy and Kyrie Irving, James Harden, and Kevin Durant are on the floor, there's just only so much they're going to ask Patty Mills to do. Like Patty Mills is capable of doing all those things. But if I've got all those other guys on the floor, or even two of those three guys on the floor, and I'm running, you know, double pin, double pin downs for Patty Mills or running pick and roll with Patty Mills, it kind of feels like a waste of mm-hmm. a possession to have Kyrie and James Harden or Kyrie and Kevin Durant spotting up. So it to me, I, I love Patty Mills. I think he's a great player. I just think it's an example of diminishing returns. Uh, the reason why I brought up Golden State is it all starts and ends with how much I respect Steph Curry as one of the three best players in the world, who's very capable, you know, depending on who you ask, of being the best player in the world. Um, he was playing last year with low-level NBA talent. And even yeah. with that, he was able to be significantly over 500 when he played and had a puncher's chance really to beat anybody. And a couple shots go differently here or there. They could have been the seven seed or the eight seed and, and, and could have uh, potentially had a run in the playoffs. That's not to say they would have won the title, but the point is, is that Golden State team accomplished a lot despite having significant roster limitations. Now, Clay Thompson is coming back. A lot of people are worried about his health. Uh, they're like, oh, he's not going to be as good defensively as he was. You know, Clay Thompson was never a freak athlete defender. He was a positional defender with an extremely high IQ. He was really good at just anticipating moves and, and playing good positional defense. I'm not worried about his athleticism as much impacting his ability to defend, and it certainly isn't going to impact his ability to shoot the basketball. So I'm really optimistic that Clay Thompson is going to be most of his former self. Then when you add that in with 
uh, Otto Porter Jr. as long as he can get healthy. Now we're looking at the Warriors having six really good NBA players or five really good NBA players next to Steph. And with as good of a defensive player as Draymond Green is and with what Klay Thompson does to relieve pressure off of Steph, I... I have a, a a great deal of respect for what that team is capable of accomplishing. Health is going to be an issue. Depth is going to be an issue. But any playoff series that that team is healthy and Steph Curry is healthy on the floor, they're capable of beating anybody, in my opinion. Yeah, me too. Just really quickly on Patty Mills, he felt like Joe Harris insurance, right? Because Joe Harris, I think, missed everything in the playoff shot, like 20% from three. Um, so I think that's where they think about him. But yeah, with the Warriors, Steph is hard to defend if it's like him and four people you pick off you know the street like he's just that hard to defend you can triple team and everything it's still really hard to defend him i'm with you on clay i think his shooting will be there um teams are still gonna guard him i don't care what he looks like like his gravity he can miss his first five shots teams are still gonna stick on clay thompson so um and i think it puts draymond back in that playmaking role it's funny watching him on team usa people are getting mad he's not shooting i'm like he's he's not shooting on the 73 and 9 warriors draymond's not going to shoot on team usa like it's just not how it's this is not how it's going to work but yeah i like this kind of warriors team auto porter jr i forgot about him as well that's a crazy pickup at the minimum um i think that was for probably health it's his health. He's, another- he, he's yeah he's played like 40 games in the last two years that's why his health uh, or that's why his value dipped but when healthy he's one of yeah. the best wings that was available yeah, he's probably got an overpaid contract, but hey, he's another one of those guys that like went from uh, was undervalued to probably overvalued there um, with his contract. Uh, but yeah, he's a knockdown 40% shooter, went healthy, two-way wing, I think, as well. Otto Porter Jr. on those uh, Wizards team that he played on. He didn't play much in Chicago. So yeah, I think the Warriors, like if, if Clay, like you said, I think I'm higher on Clay being better than, than people think as well. But if he's even like 80% of himself, I think Clay, Steph, and Draymond is still a... It's still a trio to kind of uh, you have to fear in the in the Western Conference for sure. Well, you look at it in terms of lineups, right? So, like you know, uh, we're going to talk about this with the Lakers soon in the way that you know just having you know th- their depth and and versatility is part of it, but even having just one lineup that is dependable gives you a puncher's chance to beat anybody. You know what I mean? Like the uh, certain teams at the top, the reason why they're the favorites is they've got a bunch of these lineups. They've got a bunch of different directions they can go to beat people. Uh, The Warriors may not have that level of versatility, but they're always going to have a puncher's chance because of that lineup. If I can go out there with Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, or Otto Porter, or uh, Andre Guadalla, two of those three, and Draymond at the center, that's a lineup that is capable of beating anybody. That's the bottom line. Uh, can you bludgeon them over a series because of their lack of depth? Maybe. Can you wear them down, get them to start missing shots because they're not as deep as you? Maybe. But if that five players or five of those six guys can stay healthy and if they're on the floor with, uh, in a playoff series against anybody, they're capable of winning. And, and, and that, uh, that just in and of itself makes you a threat, in my opinion. Because like you watch those Suns series, right? The Suns-Bucks series. It came down to it. And they just didn't have the top end talent. Booker and Paul just weren't capable of generating enough shots. Steph will be. You know, Steph is going to be able to generate quality shots against a Milwaukee Bucks defense or a Lakers defense or anybody like that. And that's that's the the level of respect that we need to pay to him and what he's capable of. Um, was there anything else you wanted to talk about with the other contenders around the league? Uh, I think the Miami, I know you didn't put Miami on this list. I just think it's interesting that they kind of went for it, right? They kind of made the trade. Um, I thought a lot of teams were trying to get Lowry. 
Are you worried about Lowry being kind of 36 in this scenario? Like, I, I feel like it's really interesting, him getting the three-year, I think, $90 million or something like that from uh, Miami. I, I think they're going to be good, though. I think my, I think Lowry, Butler, and Adebayo is quite a trio still um, in the East. So what do you think about them? Like, I think they're interesting, um, especially defensively. There's a lot of things they can do. Spolstra is probably one of the best coaches in the league. Um, I'm just interested to see how they kind of they work out there. Um, what do you think about Miami? So, you know, as far as the age goes with Kyle Lowry's, con- Kyle Lowry's contract, you know, it's funny because this is a talking point that's been brought up with the uh, with the Lakers a lot. And yeah. uh, our friend uh, Darius Soriano from uh, LFR, he wrote an article and it was titled like the Lakers are old or something. And everyone thought he was yeah. talking trash. But if you read his article, he was actually talking about all the advantages that come with that. And there are in terms of experience and savvy and and, uh, the, you know, players in that tier that, at that stage of their career, they're never scared of anything. Uh, but the other biggest thing, and this is something to keep in mind with Lowry, is just in general, being in your mid-30s as a basketball player now doesn't mean what it used to mean. It doesn't yeah. mean – because every surgery that everybody's getting is being done by surgeons with enough uh, knowledge and understanding and technology with modern medicine that it doesn't have the same long-term effects that it used to back in the you know early 2000s or 90s. And then the just nutrition. And look at the way nutrition has completely turned around Chris Paul's career. He's talked a lot about the way that he – ever since he pulled his hamstring with the Rockets, he's transformed his body. And look, he's he just signed another – gigantic contract as a result of it so you know I'm not necessarily worried about that with Miami it's kind of the same problem that the Phoenix Suns had I just think they're going to end up in these kinds of intense playoff series with a Brooklyn with a Milwaukee where you're leaning on Jimmy Butler Bam Adebayo and Kyle Lowry to create shots and they're just nowhere near as good at it as the guys they're going to be going against and that's where it becomes a problem. Like, I'm not even sure Jimmy Butler can necessarily outduel Chris Middleton in a playoff series. He might, but that's, and he has done so before, obviously, in the past. But, you know, Chris just came off one of the best off seasons of his career, or seasons of his career, and now he's a, a champion. So, you know, I, I, I tend to think that as good as Miami is, they are, they have a hard ceiling on what they can accomplish. They're going to be that team that's going to go down with the fight. They're going to be hard to beat, but it's just hard to imagine them winning without getting quite a good deal of luck like the way the Phoenix Suns did. Yeah, for sure. And I'm higher on Jimmy Butler than most. I watched him just absolutely tear apart our, like, I feel like that Lakers 2019-2020 was a pretty incredible defense, and he tore them apart for a few games um, where they had really no answer. He he was too physical for our guards, um, would go through the chest with some players. So I think he's a high-level playoff performer. I think in the regular season, he's he's not the same as those other guys, superstars. But I think in the playoffs, um, he really raises his level. Obviously, all old players aren't the same, right? Every every 36-year-old player isn't the same. I only bring up Lowry because just the type of player he is. He's a super physical guy. Takes a bajillion charges, you know what I mean? He's the annoying dude that is going to take a charge when they're up 25. Like, what are you doing? But uh, that kind of guy, um, he puts a lot of rigorous stuff on his body. He's super physical um, when he gets to the rim. So that's what I'm wondering with them. Um, but they went for it. So uh, credits to them uh, for actually going and get getting that guy. Um, they didn't really give up too much for him either. They also brought back Duncan Robinson, um, five years, I think, uh, a knockdown shooter. So, yeah, I'm interested to see them. I have them third. Gigantic um, contract, by the way, for a guy who's not a great defensive player. I was, yeah. It just goes to show you shooting, man. Shooting is what these GMs value. 
at a premium, at a premium. Mm-hmm. So um, if you could shoot and even if you could shoot and be that tall, like I know he's not a great defender, but he at least is tall. You're gonna get paid in this league. And Duncan Robinson's an elite, elite shooter. He's not just a good shooter; one of the best shooters in the league. So I understand that deal. Um, so yeah, I have them third in the East, but uh, they're interesting to me. Uh, uh, Jason Maples is talking trash about the way I'm holding my microphone. In. <laughs> Anyway, um, so let's let's talk about the Lakers lineup, particularly the starters for a second. So, you know, uh, Brad Turner, who's with the L.A. Times, if I'm correct on that. Yeah, he has been strongly hinting at the fact that Anthony Davis wants to start at center, which will be really interesting to see uh, uh, whether or not he actually did, does that. So what I want to do is it when I see it, I believe it when I see it. I, I feel I like it. I feel like Lakers Twitter is kind of divided evenly down the middle on this, whether or not they think he'll actually do it. Uh, so I think we can both agree that if, because Marcus Gasol seems to, Marcus Gasol looked really bad in these Olympic games and just in general, I think he's reached a, I think this is going to be the last year of his career. And I think he will occasionally play for the Lakers. I just don't expect him to have a significant role. If AD starts at the four, I believe it will be Dwight. So the oh, real wow. question becomes if AD's at the five who plays small forward, cause LeBron's going to play the four. And regardless of lineup, if AD's at the four or five, who's going to start at the two guard? So my first question for you is, who's going to start at the two guard? And if AD plays at the five to start these games, who do you think is going to start at small forward? I I I think it's a bat, I think it's a training camp battle between Ariza and Bazemore probably to fill those wing spots. Um, maybe Ariza at the four. Well, I mean, if AD's at the five, I think LeBron moves to four, right? Like most likely, just the way the roster is built. Um, there's no really power forward, um, the the original sense of the word. These are all mm-hmm. kind of wings that would play down, a, play up a position instead of play down. Um, so it would be some battle between Ariza, Bazemore, maybe even, I know you don't think Ellington's going to play a lot, but I mean, if he has an insane preseason, just shoots the hell out of the ball, he could start at two for me. Um, it's a lot of interchangeable kind of players here. No one that you really would stick in. Um, I, I think Carmelo's going to come off the bench, so that's why I kind of don't put him in this. Um, but yeah, the way the roster is constructed, they didn't they didn't really sign a nominal center, right? There's no like just uh, fill in center uh, in this lineup. It's Dwight Howard and Mark Gasol, and that's it. And then it's Anthony Davis. So um, I, I still think Mark will start. That's just my opinion. I think they're going to go really? with that. I think that's how it's going to look. He started last year. Um, I think it's his spot to lose, if that makes sense. Like in preseason game one, I think it's Mark who's going to start next to AD, which again gives that like best of both worlds. I always say this AD just doesn't want to play five on defense. Like that's the main, that's the main thing here on offense. It doesn't matter. He doesn't want to either five on defense. That's, that's a clear thing. Um, and Mark kind of allows him to be, um, the four on defense and five on offense, if that makes sense. But, uh, but yeah, that, that's kind of how I see it. That's super interesting to me. I'm going to be really surprised if Mark starts. It just feels like willingly starting the game with less talent than you should. I know they like to bring Dwight Howard off the bench just in they general did that. because they did that every game, every yeah, game just they did that because you of his. Were, you were harping energy. on it, but yeah, they did that. Yeah, well, and it was it was about energy and mm-hmm. uh, and and I you know uh, it was it was one of those things where just in general, I felt like it was part of the strategy of keeping Dwight's ego in check too, like just making sure that he never felt like, cause he actually played like Dwight massively outperformed his contract in that season oh. and, and keeping him off the bench just kind of prevented him from having that, that type of attitude. I think he might've started at center in a couple of the games against the nuggets, but outside of that, yeah, he, I, did. he, he mm-hmm. did it. 
Um, I, I predict that Anthony Davis is going to start at center. I also think for about half of his minutes, he's going to play with Dwight and Mark. I do think that uh, his compromise here is to kind of give the impression that he's playing more five by starting at the five, but then to offload that in specific stints while he's on the floor. Uh, I think Ariza is the shoe in three at that point, mainly because the Lakers just don't have a better option. Uh, I, I thought even, even if they got Iguodala, I think they would have brought Iguodala off the bench. You know, the one weird wrinkle in all of this is the is the Bazemore info. So we were basically told that Bazemore turned down more money and more years from the Warriors because of the fact that he thought he was going to have a bigger role with the, the Lakers and a better chance to contend. So... In theory, we know that he would have lost his starting position to Clay Thompson, right? So that's a that's a that's a no-brainer. But because that team like severely lacks depth and both of the guys that they drafted were at different positions, Bazemore in theory would have been like a sixth man for them. So he would have had a pretty significant role there. So I wonder if there was a promise to make Bazemore the starting two guard uh, or or even the three. Um, our guy Jason Maples in the comments said that he would have. He thinks that Malik Monk's going to start at the two guard. I I would agree that that's probably the best option, but I'm worried about that intel with Bazemore. If they think because he's a little bit better defensively, a little bit more stout, a little bit more uh, uh, like veteran presence, and because of the fact that uh, we have that intel that he was going to have a bigger role. I wonder if he's going to be the guy who ends up starting at the two. That that would be my my prediction. As far as the best lineup, I, I agree with, with Maples, though. I would, I, would par, I would start Monk because I don't want him to be necessarily an on-ball initiator, which he will not need to be with LeBron and Russ. And then uh, bringing in Kendrick Nunn, who's a much better on-ball initiator than Monk, to help run bench lineups as a secondary initiator, either alongside LeBron or alongside Russ. Do you do you remember? So like Jared Dudley, obviously he's not signed yet, but I mean you would agree that he's probably going to be re-signed, right? Like you could just everything that that's going on, Jared Dudley's probably going to be back on one of these. Um, I think they have three think spots so. left. Yeah. So so last year before this season, I think after the title. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but he went on like some podcast and he said, don't be surprised if THT is the starting point guard next year. And this is with the Lakers having Dennis Schroeder on the team. I remember this because I was like, wait, Dennis Schroeder, you know, they just traded for him. Obviously, that's long and gone now. So that's another guy that could start. THT could be the starting uh, point guard, shooting guard. I mean, shoot, shooting guard. Sorry, Russ would be the starting point guard. Um, THT could be the starting uh, two guard as well. So I wouldn't be surprised at that. There's a lot of dudes that who can go and get into that lineup to me. Um, I think none will be off the bench as well. I just think he's a on ball guy that needs, he needs the ball in his hands. I like monk. I would like monk or Ellington kind of in that two guard spot. I would like a move, a movement shooter, a guy who can come off screens and just who can fire right away. I would like to like that in the starting lineup, but there's a lot of options, man. Um, they're really high on THT. I, I could really see him be the starter. If he has a great preseason again, as he did last year, um, if his shooting kind of holds up, um, he could be this. He could be the starting two. So there's a lot of a lot of ways to go with this um, really versatile roster. A lot of dudes who kind of can fill in the same position. So I'm interested to see how they come out with that. Yeah, they're extremely versatile. Um, if you remember, we talked right after the Russell Westbrook trade, and we talked extensively about how you know with Buddy Heald things would have been kind of just a, a easy puzzle to put together, but that with Russ 
it was so much more important for them to build versatility and shooting around Russ. And they did an outstanding job of that. Um, THT is the one gigantic like uh, swing piece this year. Because if he takes a leap in terms of his defensive focus, and if he takes a leap as a jump shooter, then he absolutely is going to start. Like he's at that point, he becomes you know like out outperforming his contract type of you know awesome two guard to have out there on the floor. Because when on ball, THT is just a gigantic pain in the ass. He's like little Kawhi. Guys can't even dribble around him, and he's super strong and can hold his position. It was off ball defense and his inability to just kind of keep that. Like he he would be good ninety five percent of the time, but every that other five percent of the time would be him leaving a wide open shooter or getting cut back doors, things along those lines that would that would hurt the team. If he can clean that stuff up, we're talking about not only the starter, but he'll be in that closing lineup. Because we're gonna talk about the closing lineup here in a second. And you know, it's gonna be LeBron A. D. Ariza and Russ. But who's that fifth guy? That fifth guy is going to be all about who either has it going that day or the guy that Frank trusts to not make mistakes. Uh, because that fifth guy more more has the potential to hurt you uh, than help you. Uh, that That's where if, if it's a bad option, it can murder your spacing or it can be somebody that gets picked on defensively. Well, if you have a, a, a reliable, you know, high floor, low ceiling type of guy there, then you then that whole lineup can work better. Well, if THT can get rid of his low floor, which has to do with his poor shooting from time to time and his poor defensive focus, all of a sudden he becomes the clear-cut best option there. And and because he's so physically strong for his size, he doesn't give any you know uh, physicality away that can hurt the team. So yeah, THT is the big swing piece. Um, but l- let's just say. In general, right now, they don't make another signing. Who do you think is that fifth guy in the closing lineup? So, so you're, lock, you're locking in Ariza in that closing lineup. I think then you- he's the veteran. He's a great defensive player. He doesn't give any sort of size away at the position. And I, I feel like when push comes to shove, he's going to be one of those guys that Frank can count on. I would be shocked if he's not in their closing lineup, unless he has a health problem. Yeah, I, I, to me it's Russ, Ron, AD, and then everyone else to me is interchangeable. Like I, I mean, if Ariza kind of shows out and he's still the shooter and defender he is, then sure. I just think it's going to be him. It could be him. It could be Bazemore. It could be Ellington. It could be Monk. It could be none. Um, like how the Lakers kind of they had Caruso as their final starter last year, but I mean it it could have been any one of these guys. Um, Tht as well. Um, or if they want to bludgeon teams in the paint, it could be Dwight Howard. You know what I mean? Just AD and Dwight um, closing lineups, taking away the rim. I think you're right. Ariza's probably locked in. Uh, probably the most. He'll probably close most games. Um, I worry about his age as well. Uh, but I I don't know. I would like another shooter in there. I don't know about you, but I would just like to have Monk. Or Ellington, you know, whoever's hot that night. Or Bazemore, even if he's hitting his threes, he had a career year from last year. I just want one more shooter. Just that team's going to kill in the paint. You know, Russ, Ron, AD all want to get right to the rim. They all want to dominate at the basket. Um, I just want one shooter that you can't leave open um, on the floor there. Would you kind of would you kind of go with that mindset as well? Just kind of keeping a, a shooter out there. I get where you're coming from there. And I'm yeah. not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying that we know Frank. And Frank has always prioritized defense over shooting if he has to choose between the two. So, for instance, like, 
you know, I you, I thought Ben McLemore could have like really helped with their spacing in the long run, but he just never really got a chance to get his rhythm because he never got enough burn because Frank didn't trust him defensively. Um, you know, Ellington and Monk are going to fall into those same categories. And, you know, on the nights when they're obscenely hot, he might be willing to go with them just because of the fact that they're, the trade-off kind of swings in their favor. Uh, but I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see a lot of Baysmore, a lot of Ariza, a lot of THT, you know, uh, even none if he is defending well, depending on how, how well he defends this year. Just in general, I expect uh, uh, Frank to favor defense in that position. I think the only guys that are off the hook there are Russ, LeBron, and AD in the sense that, like, if they're having a rough night defensively, they might still play. Um, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Um, so uh, what we wanted to do for this next part not counting starters and closers. This can be any lineup. It can have LeBron and AD. It can have LeBron, AD, and Russ. You could call it whatever you want to call it. What is the lineup that you're most excited to see this year just to see what it looks like? It could be one that they throw out there in a random second quarter in February and then never use again. But what is a lineup that you're most excited to see this year? I want to see the like young, high, like flyers with Braun and AD, like I'm really interested in that. I want to see three dudes just running the course. So, so I wrote down THT, Nun, Monk, Braun, and AD, and I think that's just a super fast lineup. A lot of still a lot of ball handling, a lot of like guys who can shoot off the dribble kind of stuff. Guys who can come off screens. I'm just really fascinated with that. Again, THT is the most variant dude. Like he's the most like he could be he could be a starter or he can like not be in the rotation. It's just really interesting. And year three, right, is where guys usually make that jump. Like, I remember watching Brandon Ingram uh, year three, um, not to compare, but like D'Angelo Russell as well. Year three really got comfortable um, in the league. So I'm really interested to see where it got. Year three is usually when guys kind of really understand how they get their baskets, how they, you know, the the game kind of really slows down for them. So, yeah, I, I would like to see that kind of young kind of lineup mix with our two, with the, with Braun and AD. And maybe you can even throw Russ in there for Kendrick Nunn. So, like a THT, Russ, Monk, Braun, AD, just a, just a youth with the, with the stars. How about you? Yeah, I like that. I, I like any combination of guys that, uh, uh, in a lineup like that, that are all really good at, this is something that we talked about in the last pod. Taking advantage and capitalizing on attention that's thrown towards LeBron and AD. Um, yeah. You know, th- this is something that I loved from Talon Horton Tucker before the LeBron and AD injuries last year. Everybody remembers Talon Horton Tucker as this high volume on ball guy that we were forced to use extensively because of the injuries. But there was this whole, you know, 27, 28 game stretch there at the beginning of the season when LeBron and AD were healthy, where he was a spot up guy who was attacking closeouts. He would occasionally get his isolation opportunities, but he was just really good at, 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 uh, picking angles and getting the closing out defender on his side and just getting all the way to the rim or countering to, you know, some sort of spinning hook or whatever it was. Like he just was really, really good at that. And uh, I feel the same way about Nunn and Monk and getting the three of them together to capitalize off that attention is something that could be really exciting. Um, The lineup that I chose as, uh, as something that I don't think we'll see often, but I think will be something that the Lakers will go to, when the offense gets clunky just in general um, is what I would call like a, the vintage Lakers. I'm going to pulverize you lineup. So it's going to be Dwight Howard at the center, Anthony Davis at the power forward, LeBron James at the three, Kent Bazemore at the two and Russell Westbrook at the one. 
Every one of those guys is big, athletic, and strong. Uh, Bazemore is probably the thinnest one in there, but he's a veteran player who understands how to play in physicality. But that is a lineup where it's like the refs are not calling anything. No one really has it going offensively, but we're just going to lock in defensively and we're going to pulverize you on the offensive glass. We're going to live at the rim and we're just going to beat you to death with our physicality. Uh, One of my favorite things about this new roster is it takes on this whole new persona as this like skilled shot making lineup, especially in the backcourt. Uh, and then older and, and more uh, veteran presences in the front court instead of the younger movement that they had last year with guys that were a little bit lower IQ, like Andre Drummond and, and Kyle Kuzma. Now we've upgraded that all, all veteran guys in the front court. Well, they can still audible back to these huge bruising lineups. And that to me gives you that like that versatility to be able to, to, to audible at the last second if something's not working and, and take on a completely different approach to the game. Uh, so that's a lineup that I'm most excited for. I like that. that. That lineup also takes away the rim too, right? So it's basically they're just daring you to come in and attack Dwight Howard, Anthony Davis, whoever's at the rim at the time. AD can kind of roam as well. Um, they'll probably put him on a corner shooter or something, let him roam and kind of get back to that. So I like that. Really physical. Um, Russ, Dwight, and AD just by themselves are just super physical dudes when they're right, right? Like that's a really tough lineup to got to go against, probably be uh, really, really annoying. Just touch on your THC point. He took Wes Matthews minutes in the earlier the year, right? Just because like, and on a team that was winning, on the team that was like the, I think they were the one seed or, or close to the one seed at the time. I think Utah had the one, but they were like right there with him. So, so you're right. He was an off-ball player and he wouldn't have played if he couldn't defend, right? Get to be at least be able to defend his position at some, at some part. So I think there's skill there, but yeah, I like that lineup. Uh, really physical, really dominant, probably a lot of technical fouls in that. A lot of, uh, a lot of, shoving, <laughs> a lot of, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of, a uh, lot of cheap fouls and stuff like that, that, you know, these vets kind of know what they can kind of get away with. I always think of that Denver series. Um, I thought Dwight really kind of annoyed, annoyed them because um, he knew what he could get away with. He saw what kind of physicality they were allowing. And we saw in the playoffs um, the amount of, we saw Drew Holiday be able to just, you know, absolutely stick on Chris Paul and be as physical as he wants because that's what they allow in the final. So, so I like that. A team that's super physical and they'll know what they can get away with. So we want to get to the mailbag. So I'm going to go really quickly on this Frank Vogel thing because I think you and I are probably on the same page. Yeah. Um, do you think the Lakers are going to have any issues retaining Frank Vogel? Uh, I'm not even talking about uh, – you know, whether or not he would want to stay, because I know he would. Uh, do you think that the Lakers are even considering the idea that they might ditch Frank after this year, or do you think the extension is going to be worked out and this is all a formality? Yeah, I think the extension will be worked out. I think when you win a championship in your first year, you actually you earn an extension. Whether or not you finish out that contract is a different story. Um, Lakers have been known to let go multiple coaches. You know, they, I think they were paying like three coaches at the same time. Um, Mike Brown, Mike D'Antoni, one more, I forget who. Um, so it's even if he, he doesn't stay out, I think he has earned an extension when you win your title in the first year. Kept that team as a number one defense last year. Um, I think that's a that's something that he should put on his like resume. I think that's a big deal to me uh, with all the all the interchangeable parts that happened last year. So so with all that, um, even with even though even what happened last year, I think he's kind of earned an ex, his uh, his next contract. I don't think he should go into the year. Um, not knowing what should happen next year. Like, I think that should be worked out um, before we get started here. Yeah, 100% agree. For starters, he deserves it. Um, you know, after the first season, you and I talked extensively in the offseason about how 
the players in particular were so incredibly impressed by Frank's scouting reports. There was even that famous story where LeBron stood up and gave him a standing ovation uh, after a, a scouting session. So uh, that, w- that was how his first season went, and he was a champion. Uh, then his second season, if, let's just call it what it is. They were really good. Their stars got hurt. He somehow managed to float the team um, uh, in that time by getting them to continue to defend. And yes, they lost in the first round, but Anthony Davis got hurt. And quite frankly, it's not like there was some audible to go to in terms of lineups because even the Lakers' best shooters like KCP and Alex Caruso during the regular season both couldn't make a shot against the Suns. So like at, at a certain point, that was a that was beyond a coaching issue. That was just a – like if anything – if there was one mistake that I would point to in the Phoenix Sun series, it was even trying to play uh, Anthony Davis at all in game six. I would have sat him because I felt like part of the reason why the Suns blitzed him in the first quarter was everyone was depressed again because Anthony Davis got hurt. If there was a chance to win that series, it was don't play AD, ride your home crowd in game six, try to steal the game, bring him back for game seven or try to steal game seven on the road. But anyway, I'm with you. Like He flat out deserves the extension. Yes, if this year is just a total shit show and everything goes south, maybe that doesn't work out. But I'm with you. I have a feeling the extension is going to be worked out before training camp, and this will just be a a, a moot point to begin with. Yep, I agree with that. He should mm-hmm. he should go he should go into the year knowing um, he's got extended. Like, there's no reason to go in. Uh, it's always said that coaches don't really like to go into that last year, right? Without knowing, um, mm-hmm. it's kind of really a rough thing to kind of coach as without that kind of security. So. Um, yeah, he, he should definitely get his deal done. So our uh, uh, first mailbag question from earlier this morning, um, this is from Sean. Um, he says, I, I feel like Russ on D is the biggest question mark. Everything else seems set on LeBron and AD doing their thing. Wayne and Monk shooting threes, everyone else in the role. Also think Russ making them compete every night will be huge. So if he can just be solid on defense, they won't have many holes. Do you guys agree? Yeah, I mean, I think that is the biggest question. I would agree with him. Um, Russ hasn't been good on defense for a little while now. Like, that's no secret. Um, but I think that's also with the offensive burden that he's had to carry. So I think there's like a double, double-edged double sword there. Um, but yeah, he's going to have to be better. Like, that's just what it is. He has all the tools. It's not like it's not like he can't defend. He has the size. He has the athleticism, the speed. Um and I think the scheme, uh, Vogel scheme, will kind of will push him in the right direction. So I'll see. People are saying if he can switch, uh, we'll kind of see with that. We'll see how that kind of works. Um, I don't think he's the point of attack defender that we've had in the last few years, right? He's not going to be picking up full court and, and doing all those kind of little things there. But um, I think he can still be a he can be a solid defender, and that's what you have to be um, when you have Anthony Davis behind you. You just have to be kind of a solid defender, um, kind of funnel things to him. And I think. He's more than capable of doing that. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I, and I'm, I'm less worried about him at the point of attack. Uh, there's a lot of data out there that that's one of his biggest strengths. My biggest worry with Russ is off ball, just paying attention. He's a, he's kind of like Ray John Rondo in the sense that he's constantly just trying to make that home run play defensively. And so, yeah, you're going to have nights with Rondo where like against the Nuggets in game three of that series uh, in 2020 in the bubble where he rips Jamal Murray like three straight times at half court and goes for layups. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, my goodness, like Rondo's just wrecking this game defensively. But then the next 
you know, then the next possession he'll reach in and the, and and be way out of position and, and end up hurting himself or hurting the team. That's kind of the same effect to the Russell Westbrook thing. It's not about when he's engaged because when he's engaged, he's great. It's just it's him being overly aggressive and a little bit too you know risky in in that sense uh, in that sense defensively. As far as like just uh, uh, in general with uh, his ability on the ball, there's a lot of Drew Holiday potential with him. And because he is big and strong and athletic to where as he gets into these deeper round playoff series, which we haven't seen really since Oklahoma City, he's actually a really deeply impactful defensive player. He did a really good job on Dwayne Wade in the uh, uh, in the 2012 finals because of the fact that he's so strong and athletic and is in the physicality that's allowed in those moments. Now, obviously, he's older now and less athletic, but he's still more athletic than the vast majority of the guards that he's going to encounter. It's kind of the same LeBron effect. It's like, yeah, he's deteriorated a little bit, but really, is are you worried about that with his matchups, you know? Um, the, the other thing, too, is like, I, I watched him two years ago against Damian Lillard, and everyone remembers Damian Lillard just <laughs> resoundingly defeating him and talking mountains of trash and the result. And... There's, For sure. There's no, there's no denying what actually happened in that environment. However, the reality of what happened in that series was Russ in his offensive limitations were the reason why they couldn't win. He actually defended Dame extremely well. And there were possessions where he almost swallowed him up. It just so happened that Dame, with his ball control, pace control, and his IQ, was able to out-execute Russ. But that's not going to be a problem for Russ in this setting. In this setting, the offensive load and the IQ load and the decision-making will hopefully be under LeBron. And so in that regard, I do actually like having him for those matchups because that's never been the problem. His ability to make Dame work extremely hard and be less efficient than usual, that's not a problem for Russ. He's going to be able to force those guys into tough shots. I... I'm less worried about defense with Russ than I am about off-ball attention and just on offense whether or not he def- uh, defers to LeBron when he's supposed to. Yeah, and, and last thing on that, like people talk about his stat padding or, or whatever like that, but the final part of a defensive possession is getting the defensive rebound, right? Like that's the mm-hmm. final part. And he's an amazing rebounder on both ends, on offense and defensive. Uh, so that's a big part of it as well. I think he'll really help with that. Um, yeah, he's a great defensive rebounder, which should be part of the conversation as well. So um, that part is definitely going to be there as a, as a defender. I'm not sure how much he'll be. Again, like I think this is all – I think you talked about the off-ball stuff. That's all, to me, effort, and that's all like awareness and, and focus and all that kind of stuff, which I think you'll have um, this year for sure. So, so yeah, I think he'll be fine on defense. I think like the switching off-ball stuff is definitely the, the biggest question, but I think um, he'll be fine in this, in this scheme. Yeah, I 100% agree. And, and, and really quickly before we go to the next question, you know, what's interesting with Russ is, uh, you know, he raises your rebounding presence and your athleticism presence continue, uh, or, uh, considerably because of the fact that it's a five person job. You know, this is something mm-hmm. we like DeAndre Ayton was the second most physically impressive person in the NBA finals behind Giannis. Right. And mm-hmm. the Suns just got physically bludgeoned. Because the other four guys on the floor were all thin and overmatched physically. 
So that kind of goes to show you that just having one of those guys isn't enough. You know, if you run out lineups this year of of Ellington and, and Monk and Ariza Mello and, and Anthony Davis, they're probably going to get physically manhandled because they're just too thin down the line. Well, yeah. Russ gives you Russ again adds to that. It, it, what made the Bucks physically imposing is that it was Drew Holiday with Giannis. It was you know Brooke Lopez with Giannis. It was Chris Middleton with Giannis, and so Russ just kind of significantly raises the physical presence of the Lakers. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, next question. We can hit this one really quick. Is is this current roster, when healthy, good enough to beat a healthy Nets team? This is from Vino. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it is. I think the I think Nets, pro- Nets probably have a little more like top end talent. Just uh, if you compare the top end talent, just by a bit, um, depending how you think of Westbrook and Kyrie, or however you think of them, or, or Harden. But uh, yeah, I think they can. I mean, I, I feel like it will be a pretty nice matchup uh, going those three going there once you get to the finals i mean all all bets are off so i mean i i feel like those teams will be will be ready to go um against each other obviously stopping kd and all that is a it's a different question but i feel like they can it's a it's a it's a toss-up series to me a brooklyn lakers lakers series is a toss-up series they're pretty evenly matched in my opinion just going down the roster how about you yeah, I 100% agree. Uh, I actually would pick the Lakers to beat the Nets. I probably would not have last year. Uh, last mm-hmm. year, the Lakers were not a good offensive team. Uh, and a big part of that was just roster construction and spacing. And AD didn't play the five all season. So even when he went to the five in the postseason, he just wasn't good at it because he didn't practice it mm-hmm. all year. Um, this team is going to be more equipped for that challenge. You know, uh, the offensive gap isn't going to be as big as the gap that the Lakers are going to be able to create with their defense on the other end. One of the things that really excites me about a Lakers-Nets matchup is the fact that LeBron and AD can be roamers defensively, in theory, okay? So they'll be able to take matchups if they need to, but in theory, they'll be able to be roamers defensively. Being able to put Russ on Kyrie, someone like a Bazemore or a Nunn on Harden, and then put a uh, 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 Trevor Ariza on Kevin Durant, and then allowing LeBron and AD to just be your backline defensively makes all those other three guys, it puts them in a much better position to succeed. And I actually like the ability of a Russ athletically to wear Kyrie down over the course of a series. Bazemore on Harden is probably your weakest matchup there, but again, having LeBron and AD on the back line is such a huge advantage there. And Ariza is actually one of the better Kevin Durant defenders I've ever seen. He's really good at kind of getting a read on his rhythm. He picks him up after he crosses half court. He's he just he has a lot of reps in that role and has a, a track record of making him struggle a little bit. Uh, so I, I actually feel a lot better about that matchup. It's close. It's very close. Um, the, I think the Nets are a little bit better offensively, uh, but I think the Lakers overall uh, uh, would have a, a good chance to win that series. Yeah, last last right. quick thing on that. It's a, it's a clash of styles, right? Like it's a really clash of styles. Like they're a real jump shooting kind of silky smooth kind of skilled team. The Lakers are just like we're gonna bludgeon you in the paint. We're just gonna we're just gonna force you to kind of defend at the rim. AD even AD LeBron. Like who are they putting on AD? Like who are they putting on LeBron? I guess is my. My question with that. And then Russ as well is just super physical at the rim. Going to make at least one of James Harden and Kyrie work, right? At least one of them are going to have to work on the other end. Um, just a fun clash of styles. Just a super, super fun clash of, like, differences in uh, team kind of building and all that. So I think it would be a really fun matchup where the Lakers would, like, kind of dominate the paint. 
well, the Nets kind of win the map battle with the threes and all, and all that and the jump shooting. So, yeah, it would be a fun matchup for sure. Russ, Russ killed the Nets this year. And oh, yeah. quite frankly, and he loved every minute of it. He loved every minute of it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and their, their backcourt is just completely unequipped to stop him from getting to the rim. Uh, Russ is mm-hmm. in a weird way, um, uh, you know, and if I had to guess why LeBron wanted Russ, it was for this specific matchup. You know, uh, uh, like you said, it's it's about the need to make those guys work because the the Nets switch everything, and because James Harden is a good post up defender, and teams have some weird obsession with trying to post him up. Teams, for the most part, fail to take advantage of what the uh, weaknesses the Nets had in their backcourt defensively. Well, Russ directly addresses that. You know, that is a he is going to be downhill on Kyrie all game long. And if you don't switch that or put someone else on him, he's going to cause you some massive problems there. Russ is he's a unique weapon to have for that matchup, and, and it, that should be really exciting. All right, let's mm-hmm. see here. So this is an interesting question for us just to address non-LeBron minutes, but it says uh, um, if LeBron goes down slash load manages, how do you think the team will manage without him given that we have many playmakers? And I guess we can simplify this question to this. How do you feel about non-LeBron minutes this year? I feel a lot better about him this year than last year. Um, we have an absolute elite playmaker playmaker now with Russell Westbrook. Um, so basically, when you ask this question, when when he asks this question, um, what happens if LeBron goes down? You're basically, you're basically asking, what does a Russ AD led team look like, right? Like that's basically what the question is. Um, it'll be Russ AD kind of manning most of the minutes if LeBron has to load manage or whatever. Um, and I think they're more equipped, especially in the regular season. I think a Russ AD kind of one five attack is an, is more than enough offense to kind of carry you um, with the kind of wings and shooting they have and defensively as well. Um, I think they can kind of carry a lot better than they did last year. Last year was pretty much LeBron and then Dennis Schroeder. Like I think like, and that was it. Like that was your, that was your playmaking last year. AD obviously isn't a guy you just throw the ball to and kind of have him kind of create and play make for others. So I think having another top tier elite playmaker, whatever you think of Russ, his passing is still top top with any other player um really knows really knows how to read the floor knows where to find guys in the corners knows how to find those dump off passes to big so uh i think i think they would fare a lot better they wouldn't win obviously as much um with lebron but i think a lot better than last year um just having another guy that can create shots and that's the main thing to me and i think he'll get 80 better looks as well um from from his playmaking so i think they would fare a lot better what do you think yeah, 100% agree. So uh, for starters, if you look at the last two years and their uh, on-off numbers when LeBron was on and when LeBron was off, you know, the uh, they slipped on both ends. Their defense gets a little bit worse, but their offense gets a lot worse. They, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but generally speaking, their offense with LeBron on the floor is around 115 points per 100 possessions, and it drops to like 100 uh, when LeBron's yeah. off the floor and then their defense gets slightly worse. Now, the reason for that is because Dennis Schroeder, even though he is a starting level point guard, and even though he deserves to make somewhere between 10, 15 million a year, as, as, as we talked about in the last pod, he technically isn't a top tier point guard. He usually is going to be a, uh, uh, an inferior perimeter initiator to whatever he's going against on the other team which is going to cause problems and the same the same problem was with Rondo uh, and then as we know Anthony Davis as good as he is he's kind of a tip of a spear he's the guy that 
you know, if you put him in the right setting, he raises your ceiling convincingly. But the problem is, is that uh, he can't really initiate his own offense, at least not at the same level as a perimeter initiator. So that's why the LeBron off minutes have been a problem over the last couple of years. Russ completely solves that problem. If you can defend at a baseline level, uh, Russ is going to score enough points or generate enough quality shots for you to win those minutes. And and again, and turning the LeBron off minutes, which have been negative every single, both of the last two regular seasons and both of the last two playoffs, if you can turn that into a positive, that is a gigantic boost to this team because they've always been good with LeBron on the floor over the last two years. And that could be that kind of thing can manifest in regular season standing as like a five or six game improvement. That could be the difference between them being a 52 win team and being a 58 win team. It's like that, that kind of uh, boost when you're not losing every single time your best player goes on the bench. So I think, and then we haven't even gotten to all the things that Nunn and Monk can do to boost those offensive lineups when LeBron is off the floor, but just Russ and AD, if you can, because staggering is going to be, you know, there are all these different things that they need to do to maximize Russ, right? Like he needs to defend. And then when he's off ball in crunch time lineups, he needs to crash the offensive glass. He needs to uh, 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 be able to at least cut occasionally or, or make enough spot up threes that the team doesn't just completely ignore him entirely. But one of the biggest things that they can do to help this is just stagger the hell out of it. So every single minute that LeBron is off the floor, if he's playing 32, 34 minutes a night, that means Russ needs to be playing 14, 16 minutes without LeBron uh, on the floor, uh, those other 14, 16 minutes. And I believe that with Russ at the helm, as long as he has enough shooting, or I would even just play Anthony Davis. Like If you look at last year, Schroeder AD minutes were negative. Um, yeah. LeBron AD minutes, LeBron Schroeder minutes, LeBron by himself minutes were all positive. Even when LeBron was playing with Schroeder and AD off, they were positive. So I'd almost ride LeBron by himself if you need to rest two, arrest two of them and then play Russ and AD together because that's going to give you a better chance of staying positive throughout the game. At least that's the strategy that I would take. What's funny about those stats, I remember uh, that first year, I think the Rondo and LeBron were the only negative um, pairing uh, with LeBron. It's like, you know how hard that is to do? Um, <laughs> but, um, but another guy like we haven't even talked about is Carmelo. I know like he's not going to be a huge part. I think just if LeBron's kind of out, uh, he's a guy that can just sustain the offense, right? Um, maybe he gives back as much on defense, but just to sustain the flow and keep the possessions going. How many times did we watch the bench come in and just can't score? Like the lead would be 15 and they just cannot score and 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 teams will cut it down to like four or five when LeBron comes back in so I think just having another guy as well that can just get a basket whenever you can just give the ball to Carmelo and he'll get a good shot he'll get fouled you know what I mean he'll go to his he'll get to his shot get to his spot I think that's important having guys that just know how to get to get their shot off and I think that's a big deal yep I agree are you still looking at 925 I can do 930 that's fine okay we'll do 930 so we'll do two more questions all right, so the, uh, this next one I think is interesting. Uh, you, we kind of hinted at this earlier, but I, I want to talk a little bit more about it. Do you think the age of the Lakers roster will be, be beneficial or detrimental for a long playoff run, which is what we expect? 
Uh, I think in the playoffs, like experience is more important. Like I think the age will, I think there are obviously detriments to being older. Obviously it's not all positive, but I think the positives kind of outweigh the negatives here. You, you don't really see these super young teams win championships, right? It's mostly these older kind of older kind of squads that kind of get it done. So I think it will be held. There'll be more experience. Um, the super old guys are really like what Ariza and uh, Dwight, you know, those kind of guys. But I mean, AD is 28. LeBron also obviously is up there, um, but he's kind of, He's kind of an alien in that way, but Russell Westbrook's 32. Um, so I think the super old guys are kind of the wing kind of players that are kind of more um, interchangeable there, aside from LeBron, um, when when you talk about how old this roster is. Bazemore as well, I think, is like 32. And they have a bunch of young kind of ener- energetic guards, I think, that can really uplift them during the regular season and, and through the playoffs. So I think the old thing has kind of been stretched out. Um, they have this thing where, like, um, no team has ever signed 35, four or five 35-year-olds in the same offseason or something like that. Um, but a lot of them, most of them are going to be spot minutes um, other than LeBron for sure. Yeah, so I really look at it as this simple. You, It's really about how many good basketball players you have. And if you have yeah. enough then you'll be fine and, and, and age won't matter. But if you're older, you probably need more in terms of your depth, right? Because it's about wear and tear. This is what happened with the 2014 Heat. It wasn't, the, the problem wasn't their amount of good players. They had enough good players. The, the issue was is because they were a bit older, they ended up kind of looking exhausted at times in the playoffs because they didn't have the depth relative to their age. You know, this is one of the big reasons why LeBron was upset that they let Mike Miller go to avoid the luxury tax. They were upset because he thought, you know, even just 15 minutes from Mike Miller makes Shane Battier's job easier, makes Richard Lewis's job easier. It just, it lowers everybody's, it's it's like, a, we talk all the time about like, oh, this guy can be a better defensive player if he has less offensive responsibility. You have a finite amount of energy that you can go to or tap into in a game. I'm I'm less worried about the Lakers' age this year because of their depth. You know, yeah, Ariza's old, LeBron's old, Melo's old, Dwight's old, Mark's old. But in that front court, uh, you know, especially considering a lot of times the Lakers will play three-guard lineups, in that front court, there's only so many minutes available. And so, you know, would I like to see them add one more forward? Yeah, but I think they will. I think they're going to probably end up adding Wes Matthews. And even Jared Dudley is going to be there for, for certain environments. But let's say everyone's healthy. You're in a playoff series. At the end of the day, I'm only asking Carmelo Anthony to do what he's doing for like 15 minutes in a playoff game. I'm only, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Ariza and LeBron, they might have bigger workloads. But if Ariza looks like he's getting worn down and, and he's starting to struggle, it's like, okay, we can put a little bit more on Melo's plate here and ask him to do more. Like age becomes an issue when you're when you're seven men deep and everyone's old. And now we're talking like the 2011, 2012 Celtics. Now we're talking about like the 2014 Brooklyn Nets. Like when you lack depth and you're old and you're and your old guys are being worn down, that's where it can become a problem, but I'm not really all that worried about it. But I there I think it's important when you're having this conversation to talk about the positive sides of it, okay? And this is something again, you need to read that article that that Darius Soriano wrote the other day about this. You know, there's a reason why young teams don't win in the NBA mm-hmm. in general. And it all has to do with veteran savvy. It's this something that I I, I pound this point home all the time on this podcast. Scar tissue builds up when, when you lose. And that happens at every level of basketball, from the pros all the way down to you playing in your men's league in San Francisco or wherever it is that you live. 
Every time you lose a basketball game, a little bit of scar tissue forms and you remember why you lost, whether it was taking a bad shot, whether it was missing a box out, quitting on a rotation, uh, not sitting down in a defensive stance on a particular guy. I don't, I don't care what it is. It builds up scar tissue. Every older basketball player you see is just completely covered in scar tissue from these losses. And so they are willing and able and, and wise enough to do all the things that they need to do to win these games. And the Lakers' age in that regard is an asset, provided they don't wear down physically, which we just talked about I don't think will be an issue. In these big games at the end, when I've got Russ out there with someone like Kent Bazemore, with someone like Trevor Ariza, or whether it's Wesley Matthews instead of Bazemore, but I've got LeBron and AD in the front court, all those guys know how, how they need to win a game, and they're willing to do the things that other teams don't. They could be in a matchup with the Suns again, and, you know, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker, they don't have the scar tissue. Devin Booker's lost one playoff series. And so from in that regard, I, 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 I like having the older guys for that type of matchup so that you can win the, all of those little things on the margins that are the difference between you being a first-round exit and being a championship team. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Devin Booker lost one playoff series, but he's done a lot of losing in, you know, the regular season yeah, yeah, and all that. And, <laughs> and I can't imagine the scar tissue that Chris Paul has kind of uh, has, oh, uh, man. Has, has gotten now. Um, it, it must be tough. But yeah, I agree with you. The experience should be there. Um, and I, I don't know if you remember this, but like there, there was a pre, the first preseason game of the 2019-2020 Lakers. It was against the Warriors. Um, I don't know if you remember this. It was their first game. Their first. It was the first game. Is this the one where they tweeted out the the? Is this where they tweeted out the consider this a warning? That one. I'm not sure if that was that one, but it might have been. But there was like a seriousness. There was like a seriousness. There was like a tone. Um, you could tell LeBron was in this like, yeah, you guys said a lot of things over the summer. You know what I mean? Like there was a tone to like, (laughs) there was like a tone to Anthony Davis as well. Like I I heard all the stuff. Um. uh, so, like, I expect that this year as well. It wasn't there last year, and that's expected. You know what I mean? That first preseason game didn't have close to the, like, we need to prove something at all. But I feel like this year, and I think Russ as well will have that. Um, and, and, again, when you get these older guys, uh, Carmelo's first chance to win a title. You know what I mean? Like, I think those things kind of buy in as well that you just can't get with a young squad. You can't buy that kind of um, that kind of drive, that kind of, uh, you know, that motivation, and I think we'll see that in the first game um, this year as well, similar to how we saw in 2019 um, in, in that first game as well. Just a, just a tone of seriousness um, to the year that I think we didn't get this year due to the circumstances. I agree. They're going to be coming in angry, you know, wounded, but, uh, you know, coming off of that wounding season, they're going to just be, there's going to be a sense of urgency that didn't even exist last year. Um, I think Anthony Davis has taken an absolute beating in the media, as he should. He had a rough year. Um, you know, I I think it's important to point out injuries and the role they played with Anthony Davis, but like I also don't think that's the only reason he had a rough year. And I think it's okay to point that out. Yeah, I think you could be a fan of Anthony Davis and be knowledgeable of his ceiling and aware of what he's capable of doing, but at the same time, like uh, this is something that I've been hammering home nonstop over the last six months. Like an injury like that doesn't make it so that when someone throws a swing pass and you're at the elbow, you just give up on the rotation or that every time you set a screen, instead of rolling to the rim hard, you just pop to 18 feet to 24 feet because you know, it's easier on your legs. Like at a certain point, there was a lack of urgency from Anthony Davis last year, even when he was healthy for the most part. Um, so I think He's heard all that, and I think he's aware of what he needs to do this year to change the uh, uh, the impression that he left. 
and I expect them to be to be really really good. I'm I, I'm with you. I, I expect I I expect this to be a a complete and utter like revenge season from the Lakers, just in their overall attitude and approach. Now, still things need a break, right? They need to stay healthy. In general, you need to hope that some crazy buyout guy doesn't go to Brooklyn and swing the talent level too much or whatever it is. I don't know. But I, I just expect them to have a really, really good motivated season and to and to come out and play really well. Um, it's 930. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on today before we get out of here? Yeah, um, I have one more like question here that I saved. Um, I'll ask you this because I'm interested in, in your answer as well. So um, add E's up, three E's and then Z-U-P. Um, yes, do you think it's most important to get this team um, gelling offensively by activating AD rather than figuring out one, two, and three for LeBron, AD, and Russ? Um, should it be the two ball handlers mission to get AD going um, above everything else. So do you think AD should be the number one kind of priority option? Uh, so you will um, to get this team to hit its ceiling. I, I think that's the main thing of this question. So for starters, I don't think people realize just how much AD at the five is going to help him offensively in general, uh, in terms of the spacing. The example I'll give you is this, like look at how many points guys like Christian Wood score as a center or, you know, Clint Capella as a center or any anybody who plays in a five or four out one in system where they have a decently athletic, somewhat coordinated center who's rolling to the rim all the time. Like they all those guys get like 20 and 10 just by being out there. I, th- I think in general, Anthony Davis is poised to have a breakout season just by virtue of him playing in a four out one in system. As far as like force feeding him, it makes a lot more sense to do it now in this spacing than it did last year. There was a lot of this where it's like, oh, we got to get AD going. We got to get AD going, throw it down to him on the block. And then you throw it down to him on the block and there'd be no space for him to operate. And he'd take another crazy fade away. And it just was like one of those things where it's like I talk about with Kuzma all the time. It's hard to get a rhythm when you're taking tough shots. You need to attack your rhythm problem by getting higher quality shots. And I think, I think AD is going to get 20 and 10 easy breezy just by being out there with Russ and LeBron. And then if you force feed him at all, he could be poised for an MVP type of season. You know, everyone thought last year that was what was going to happen. LeBron would take his foot off the gas. AD would step up and it didn't happen. This is the year that makes the most sense because of Russ in the playmaking role. LeBron actually can take a step back. I really do think part of the reason why LeBron was an MVP candidate last year was out of necessity. I think he showed up to camp and I think he started playing and he saw Anthony Davis wasn't in it. And I think, I think he saw like, uh Oh, they need me to do everything again. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so, uh, and I think that that's what he did, but well, I, I actually think as he gets into the season, he's going to be able to coast in a way that he hasn't been able to in a really long time. And I, I if there was a year he may never do this, but if there was a year for Anthony Davis to stamp himself as one of those top tier guys, it's this one. This is the year where he can be the defensive player of the year as a five man and a guy who averages 33 and 16 like Embiid tried to last year. Uh, this this is the year to do that. And I, I'm really excited to see what he's got. Yeah. And again, like basketball is not like a here. Let's do option one. 10 times and let's do option two 10 times, right? Like it, it's a flow, free flowing game, free flowing game. Um, what I would like to see more, you don't have to like force feed 80 because I think the Lakers offense this last few years has been a lot of like, what mispatch do we want to attack? And then let's throw it into 80 in the post. Um, people were begging for LeBron and 80 pick and rolls. But the problem with that is like, usually the guy guarding LeBron usually kind of is good enough sized respectfully to guard AD. So they'll just switch it. 
I would like to see a lot more like screen and roll. Like Russ, I think Russ is the perfect kind. Of, we, I thought it would be with Dennis Schroeder. Dennis Schroeder just could not score enough to like make that. And AD obviously wasn't him. He doesn't pass well enough either. Did you see that stat that he threw one lob to AD last year in total in the entire season? No way. One? Oh, there was man. one lob from Dennis Schroeder to, to Anthony Davis in the entire season. Russell Westbrook had something crazy. It was like he played like 12 games with Daniel Gafford at the end of the year and had like eight or something. I can't remember the exact thing, but Russ is an infinitely better passer than Dennis. Yeah, and Russ is one of the best law passers in the game to me. Like one of the things like I'm looking forward to is like a Russ AD pick and roll with LeBron cutting from the corner. Like I think you're going to get a lot of lobs from that. Russ used to do that to Jeremy Grant a bunch. Like Jeremy Grant would cut from the corner on a Steven Adams pick and roll and get a bunch of lobs. Um, but yeah, like I would like to see a lot more screen and roll offense put into this put in into our game i think russ can really kill with that um having a screener like getting ad rolling he took he did a lot of like he would set the screen and then just stand at the free throw line or free throw line extended and then take that little mid-range jumper and he's good at those at like a respectable rate but he's like a generational role man like a guy who can get to the basket that's what i want to see you don't have to make this like a who's option one who's option two but i mean i obviously lebron's going to be option you know a a one a two most of the nights but like i just want to see ad kind of get more screen roll game because i think they can do that now um especially if he starts at the five like you're predicting um or even if marcus soul stars i think mark is enough of a gravity kind of spacer to where you can make it make it work a little more but ad has to be himself he has to be anthony freaking davis he can't be you know um flowing in and out of games you know kind of and i don't think he will this year i'm just saying like that can't be it russ won't let him russ will help with that too by the way that's very true. Yeah, Russ is a very much every night kind of guy. Russ does not take, you know, games like any game lightly. So, but yeah, that's what I want to see. Uh, the, the who's option one, option two, option three, I think are kind of side things to it. But I just want to see more AD screen and roll. And I think they can do that this year. You, you, and we'll, I'll just hit this really quick and then we'll get out of here. You bringing that up about the different positions and the way that it changes the way the, def- the defense can even attack a pick and roll. That was really interesting. And, and I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, you're going against their two biggest forward defenders when you're playing LeBron and AD in a screen and roll. And you're right. They do usually switch it. It is extremely difficult to switch a Russ AD pick and roll because you're getting two really different defenders involved. Um, Also LeBron and AD were running a lot of pick and roll with the center on the floor. So you're basically playing two on three, Um, especially considering the centers they had last year were not great vertical threats um, that, that brought any spacing in that regard. So I thought that was a really good point from you. And, uh, and yeah, I, someone in our, uh, uh, mentions here said, man, I just want the season to start. And I agree. And I'm very, very excited. If there's one silver lining here, let's see, it is August 6th. The, uh, Lakers first preseason game is less than two months away. And, uh, um, training camp actually starts in the last few days of September. So we are very, very close and NBA season starting, also means that Tucson gets less absurdly hot. So I'm very excited for that myself. But Raj, I really appreciate you taking the time and going a little bit longer for us today. We will do over the summer at some point a full mailbag pod so we can get to more of these questions. Um, But as always, guys, we really appreciate your support. I'll be tweeting out the full-length podcast for those of you who missed it here in just a little bit. I hope you have a great weekend, and we will see you next week. Thanks, everyone.